and welcome to another episode of Stanford Cinema, the film discussion podcast where you choose it, I watch it, and we discuss it. As always, I'm your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for, for joining us. We've got a really exciting show for you because we are going to be covering the 2009 stop-motion Marvel that is Coraline, uh, written and directed by Henry Selick, based on the novel Coraline by Neil Gaiman, and let's see, starring the Dakota Fanning. And I mean, just an absolutely amazing movie. It's uh, kind of like this dark fantasy horror film, you know, based on the novel of the same name. And like, movie is pretty freaking like fantastic. Essentially, it's basically about this about this girl who's trying to adapt to this new life in like this apartment community in, in Oregon. And basically she discovers that there's kind of this other world that exists within her apartment. And she's got kind of like a, an other mother and an other father. And they're a little bit more interesting than her stay at home parents. And what she learns along the way is, and this movie is like loaded with different themes, right? Because the movie really, kind of tackles like overcoming fear, um, really deals with like one's identity, uh, imagination, obviously, and uh, kind of like the idea of like family, you know, uh, kind of like the truth and like honesty and how, you know, things aren't always as they appear. And sometimes we create these other worlds and on the surface, while they may seem more fascinating, we learn more about ourselves and about our family that uh, there's this this thing of acceptance uh, and appreciation. And it's really, really fascinating. Of course, that's just my little like uh, 10 cents. We've got a guest on here today who knows far more about this movie. And she is like the resident internet expert on the matter. And we've got McGann, the fangirl. You can definitely check out her video. She's got a lot a lot of uh, discussion points on this movie. So you can check her out on YouTube and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think we're gonna have a lot of fun. So, and it's also very seasonal appropriate. We are on the cusp of Halloween. If you're listening to this upon publishing, but of course you can be listening to this in February. It doesn't matter. Um, but either way, this is gonna be a really great conversation. So let's just dive right on in. So again, again, thank you. Thank you. How's everything going? How are you? Oh, it's doing pretty good tonight. I'm excited to be here. You know, thank you for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is a real treat. We first connected, well, shoot, at this point, several months ago. And I had this one kind of tabled for kind of like an October discussion because Coraline, I think, lends itself very well into, into this kind of like fall, autumn, spooky season kind of vibe, even though this isn't necessarily a scary film in that sense. The, it does have that kind of vibe, I think. I don't think of this movie as really a, a July movie. The movie takes place in like the Pacific Northwest. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off balance, but this is how I kind of feel about it. I mean, I do think the movie did come out in July in the theaters. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a really weird sort of setting and you go through all the seasons in the movie. But yeah, I, I agree. There is a lot of the spooky vibe to it. And it's a lot scarier than I think you give it credit for. <laughs> it's really fascinating. Like, and I think that might be a conversation that we get into it. Like, is this scary? Is this kid scary? I don't know. I think that there'll probably be a conversation to be had. But we've kind of already teased the movie that we're going to be discussing. Uh, discussing. But before we get into it, let's uh, let's let's chat a little bit about you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, kind of your your channel. What you know, what, what makes you tick? 
Well, I'm McGann Gotham. I run the YouTube channel and all the weird little subsidiary profiles uh, called The Fangirl. I started talking about Coraline in 2016 and it exploded. Um, so I, I will be surprised if you don't have the Coraline fans sort of glom onto this episode in particular because <laughs> there is such a huge community out there and they are thirsty bitches for Coraline content. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm anywhere nearly as educated on this film as you, although I do thoroughly enjoy this movie. I, I'm i kind of like a late, not a late bloomer, but kind of discovered this movie a little bit later, even though I've always known about this film. It wasn't until really three or so years ago when my 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 wonderful daughter, she is a girl after my own heart and that she does like things on a little bit on the the doctor uh, the, the darker side she's only five but oh my. she's been watching this movie since she was two and she was all about it and she like her father has always been kind of i don't know fascinated by things that have a little bit of a darker uh creepier kind of tone so i i love that this is kind of like her introduction into this kind of universe and that she saw this movie long before she saw the nightmare before Christmas or James and the giant beach, but oh, really? Yeah. 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 So we kind of went backwards. So how did you get into, into this sphere? Like what, what, what was your kind of like inception or jump starting into? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, that, that story is a little bit weird. Um, I did see the movie in theaters back in 2009. I thought it was so good. I showed it to my son who was like four or five at the time. And he was like, to this day, he'll be like, no, I have PTSD from this movie. Like, I hate this movie. But then I had a daughter later. She got a little bit older around 2016. And I'm like, hey, you know, let's try watching this movie. You're always saying nothing scares you, nothing bothers you. Let's watch Coraline. And I had not seen it since 2009. And I was sitting there like screaming by the end, like, this is so scary. Like, I'm, I'm like vibrating. I'm so freaked out. <laughs> And uh, at that point in time, I was on bed rest with my third child. So I had nothing I could do, nowhere I could go. And I have a background in film. I have a degree in film. And my daughter, at the end of the movie, she's just like, oh, Coraline never got out. And I'm like, what do you mean? And we start mm. talking about it. I'm like, oh, this is this is good. Like, let's yeah. hash this out. And it was like, what do what do we do with this now that we hash this out? And I just threw it up on YouTube with like a slideshow of different uh, images. And it just kind of took off like a shot from there. And I think the, what makes really any good movie is just kind of interpretation on how you want to look at anything. And well, there's evidence, though. <laughs> like okay, you can well, pull out detail. This the level of detail in this movie is so insane. And, and I have so many people just like do more Coraline. I'm like, I've already got over 40 Coraline videos. Like, I can't get into much more detail here. So I've I've restarted the movie, breaking it down scene by scene. And just even looking at the things in the background on the walls, it's like, oh my gosh, there are so many weird, creepy layers in here. And it's all, they're all items that are made by hand mm -hmm. for this movie. It's not just like, oh, some accidental glitch on a 3D program or something. Like it's all so intentional. Now, had you are are you a fan of are you a fan of the book as well? Have you have you read it? I, what I got into the book after the movie because it, it was just sort of trying to feed this beast of people want more to talk about. So here's here's a different thing. Here's a different uh, layer of Coraline. 
Mm-hmm. But I am I am very adamant that the book and the movie are separate universes. I will yeah. fight everybody okay. on that. <laughs> because I, I don't believe, I be, rather, I don't believe correction. I believe the author from what I've just even gathered was not necessarily the biggest fan, certainly of the ending of the film. Have you... Have you come across that? I I have not heard that, but I know Neil Gaiman is sort of the way he writes is I'll give you just enough to be interested, but I'm never going to give you answers. Mm. And it's frustrating because the graveyard book is the same kind of way where all these weird little details come up and happen and you never know why or what it's connected to. We're not quite jumping ahead, but we jumped ahead a little bit in the sense of for you know, the the five or six people out there that still haven't seen this film. Oh, my gosh. Um, Get on would the you, ball. Would you feel comfortable uh, just, you know, what what is this movie about? I mean, whether you want to talk about plot. Oh, gosh. Plot okay, or... that, that's so loaded. Okay, let me let me try to. Okay, so. Basic, basic plot without getting into themes, without really trying to, like, go down different several levels. You know, just basically about a girl exploring her new home. You know, like, like just surface level. Yes. Okay. So we have a girl exploring her new home. She finds one of these little tiny doors in the wall. And sometimes, not all the times, there are portals that take her to this other place called the other world with a woman who looks just like her mother, but with button eyes. And the more Coraline goes home, it's like her home life is kind of depressing. Her parents are too busy for her. There's no food in the fridge. It's really kind of a grimy place to live. There's not really a lot of other people to play with. There's nothing for her to do. So she keeps going back into this other world and seeing these amazing things. And then the plot sort of turns and the Bell Dam, the other mother, uh, offers Coraline to stay in the other world, but she has to get buttons sewn into her eyes. And Coraline manages to escape, but then she comes back to free. The- <laughs> it's so weird to like try to summarize it. She comes back to the other world at great peril to herself to try and free the ghost children and her freshly abducted parents. And I won't spoil the ending just in case somebody's like, wow, I really do need to see this movie. I mean, it's pretty complex, pretty damn complex. Um, I guess other than the fact that you've got a whole channel and you, you talk about this type of stuff, but why did you want Why did you want to discuss this film? Uh, everybody needs to discuss this. <laughs> <laughs> It is no matter how many times I go back to this movie, there's always something else in there. People talk about Gravity Falls being so detailed and layered. It has nothing on Coraline. In this most recent rewatch, I I, I love just how the whole film was, how how the film was made. But just even just even the first 90 seconds or maybe it's two minutes or three minutes, however long the credit sequence is. I just remember watching it recently thinking the opening credits in this movie is better than I think a good chunk of uh, other stop motion films in their entirety. The oh, just, yes. just even the, the opening credit sequence is phenomenal, extremely captivating, especially there, there's so much in it that, that so you, much. you, you can watch it 40 times and not catch everything that's in it. There's um, little tiny dolls of the neighbors in there that it's like, if you blink, you miss that they're mm-hmm. there. And if uh, I don't know if you've heard this has been circulating around a lot lately, when she opens up the little kit to uh, switch the doll into the Coraline doll from the old doll, it's it's not like a sewing kit. It is a mortician's kit from the 1800s. Yeah. And and the background that of that kit is the same as the background that we see for the Coraline and all the uh, credits for the uh, actors and everything like that. It's like 
it, it is so just insanely raveled in on itself. Is there anything specific about this viewing that you that that you saw that you want to kind of like discuss in in depth or what have you? Like what? Did, was there anything you got out of your most recent? I'm assuming you watched it again recently for the conversation, or at least somewhat uh, recently. Is there something that you got uh, from a recent rewatch that you're like, you know, I think I might want to have a conversation, whether it's about this theme or this scene or subject uh, matter or shit. I don't know. Um, they might be giants uh, kind of getting scrapped from the film, whatever it is, whatever oh, it is. Wait, I don't know about the they might be giants thing. That, that's new to me. What's that one? Well, from what I understand, because the the song, the the um, the like the other father, like the Coraline, like the oh, infamous Coraline okay, song. Okay. So, are you familiar with the band? They might be giants. Yes. Okay. So obviously, that's the 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 her father. That's uh, shit. I forget his name, John Linnell or something like that. I apologize. I'm I'm kind of shooting from the hip. Um, I my my teenage years, I was a big They Might Be Giants fan. And I remember watching this a few years ago and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's definitely homeboy from They Might Be Giants. And I wish I would have done more research in preparation for throwing that at you. But from what I remember is They Might Be Giants. Apparently, there was like a whole soundtrack. They created the music uh, for this film, but uh, allegedly it just didn't gel with um, uh, Henry Selleck, who I think was a director, or maybe it was like a producer of the film. It's just like, no, this just doesn't work. It doesn't work right. So virtually everything that had been composed for the film, whether it's like original songs or whatnot, and the only thing that survived was the the, the father song in the film. Oh my gosh. And, now, now I need to find like these lost cuts somewhere. Yeah, oh my yeah, gosh, yeah. that sounds again, amazing. This, this may be like, this may like, somebody might just be like, Snope checking this and like, nah, dude, you're full of shit. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't accurate. You're, you're, but that's what I, that's what I remember anyway. But, you know, shoot, there's only so many things that you can read and, you know, and then you find out everything's crap anyway. Right. Um, but that's, that's what I believe to be the case. Um, but now, now this does the listener no good because at the time of publishing, I will have already fact checked this and I will know. <laughs> And if I find out I'm completely wrong at the very end of this episode, I will call out and say, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm full of shit on this. But oh, no, you, just, you just leave a note in the description. It'll be exactly. Fine. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but yeah, I guess long story short, was there anything in uh, that you wanted to kind of single out for this particular discussion that might be different than things that you've you've talked about in the past? Or oh, goodness. Or you just um, want to see uh, you wanted to talk about it with somebody that maybe wasn't as familiar and find out what I thought about the movie. But well, yeah, I would love to know what you thought about the film and I'll tell you if you're wrong or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I really enjoy I, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. And I think I what I like about this movie is as far as I can tell, it's it's 100 percent stop motion, but they they introduce 3D technology. And I, from what I remember, it was really like early in that uh, that sphere as far as being able to use the, not stereoscopic or something like, but basically the whole idea of kind of uh, 3D imaging and they used uh, what, like 3D printers, what have you. But the, the puppet, the puppet work, I think in this one, I don't know, it felt a lot more, organic and smooth and that the framework uh, frame rate worked a lot better than say 
uh, I can't believe I'm, I'm forgetting the movie right now. I just referenced it. Nightmare Before Christmas, for example. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, although I think one of the things I love about Nightmare Before Christmas and other uh, stop motion films is kind of the perky jerkiness of some of the movements, the the frame rate on this one, it was very, very smooth to the point where when you're watching it, it does in some ways feel like a, a normal cartoon. But from what I understand, there were dozens of different version, d- dozens of different models of the, the Coraline puppet herself, right? Yeah, there there were so many. They have so many costume changes in this movie too. It's It's really atypical for an animated movie. But yeah, unless you have like 8,000 screenshots like I tend to have on my computer, you (laughs) don't really notice that they look like puppets while the animation is happening. They do a phenomenal job with every little detail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking of details, I, what was it like? I mean, you can get into the animation, but the the details, like they're... uh, The the amount of like facial expressions that you had. So like, um, what was it? Like Coraline even like her facial expressions in just a few second snippet would have 30 different facial expressions that she, you know, that they would do in, in less than, I don't know, like 15, 20 seconds or something like that. And you look at the fact, (laughs) and and you look at the fact that in uh, 90 seconds of movie time, that took well over like a week plus for them to even do. And this is a movie that took them like four years to make, Right. I mean, just the yeah, like attention. A, like it is something. And, you know, if you look at the box office earnings after Coraline, they have been abysmal. Like they get worse with every movie release. And, you know, there's a lot of sort of theories out there that, well, yeah, Travis Knight runs Leica and his dad is like the CEO of Nike. And that's like that's Nike's bankrolling Leica, basically. But it, it's also good because we get art without the sake of it being for profit. And yes, but art still can come with a price. I mean, this movie wasn't necessarily a cheap film to make, right? I, I can't recall the budget, but. Oh yeah. Now the budget, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I know it did the best of like his movies at the box office. And then it's like, everybody forgot, forgot about it by 2010. Mm-hmm. And then all the internet theorists started getting a hold of it. All the weirdos like me. And all of a sudden, now it's in Hot Topic. Now it's in Walmart. Now it's like back in the zeitgeist. Yeah. But the movie also wasn't, it wasn't a total, by no means was it a flop. I mean, I think the movie did pretty well. I think, I think this movie still grossed over, shoot, a hundred million or so in the box office, yeah, right? Yeah, no, it, it did well. But then it's like, after it released to video, everybody just kind of forgot about it shortly after that. It, it didn't have, sort of Disney has this, this whole division to keep their movies fresh Mm. in your head. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like a cloudy with a chance of meatballs or all dogs go to heaven where, Hey, that's a good movie, but you don't necessarily remember it in a couple of years until somebody like throws a screenshot at you. Yeah. Did this movie come out? What was that movie? Was it the nine or there was, uh, or the oh, six? Yeah, nine? Yes. Nine. Okay. Um, Cause this movie came out around the same time as I recall. And yeah, around. I, if I oh. recall right, this one came out in July and nine came out on nine, nine Oh nine. Yeah. Cause that is also one of those things that Hollywood does from time to time where they, they'll, even though the movies aren't remotely the same, but there are these connective tissues that exist that sometimes as a result, they end up killing each other one way or another, like in 
in the stratosphere. So yeah, it, it was definitely, you have these two very thematic, very dark, very, you know, kind of post-apocalyptic feeling movies mm-hmm. back to back. And I don't think they gave nine very good marketing, but then again, I, I like nine. I will say that, but I think the story is more like three 20 minute shorts woven together. Like the story is not the best. Yeah. There, there's this thing because whether you're, you're looking at this, you know, they're, they're connective tissue. You can, you can take movies again. Hollywood is not new to this. They, you know, they, 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 they loved it in the nineties when they did, what was it? Deep impact. And then Armageddon and they had volcano and Dante's peak. And like, just these movies that are just kind of similar. That's like, Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I'll do something just like it. And then they'll both be successful, but then audiences will just get kind of tapped out and forget about it. And then, over time, as we see with a lot of other, it's weird to say a movie that grossed over a couple hundred million dollars is a cult film, but this movie does have a, a cult film kind of vibe. It definitely has that weird kind of cult status. Yeah, and it, it's fascinating because often when you think of a cult film, they're usually movies that people don't see, right? They're people that, they're, they're, they're films that they're in the theater for a week or two and then just kind of like fall into obscurity and then they find their audience. This is a movie that, People did go and see, but then on the flip side, forgot about it, you know? Yeah, and then, no, it, did. it just seemed to disappear so quickly. And then like many other, and this is why it has that cult feel, uh, feel to it, is the fact that the audience then connects to it. And then you've got uh, obsessive fans that all they want to do is talk about the movie. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that, that's what, you know, that's what us obsessed fans do about, about our, our favorite movies is we just want to just shout from the rooftops of how amazing uh, our favorite films are. And you, you just want to be part of that. Like, Hey, you need to see this, this movie. And even in your own words, everybody needs to see Coraline. Right. So we, we just, we fall and we find, we, we connect to these movies and, and then they become a little bit part of us. And we just, we, we just have this need to share this, this thing that we even take a little like I don't know. There, there's this feel that sometimes maybe I'm completely wrong. And I'm just I'm projecting my own my own feeling on on my own cult films. Is we take we have a little bit we assume some ownership of these movies and we they they're they're part of our not even just you know just a movie appreciation. They're a part of us and just our day to day lives of just like this is something that really connects. And this is something that that helps me process whether it's an emotion, whether it's a uh, something that you see around you. You just you just talk about it all the time. I'm that way with a movie called The Burbs, not an animated film, but I talk about The Burbs with everybody, uh, even though The Burbs <laughs> doesn't connect all the time. Excellent movie. That is. Oh my god. No, I won't start going down that rabbit hole. But yeah, I can <laughs> talk about The Burbs for a minute. Um, And that's good. I mean, well, it's good that you like to talk about burps. No, but this type of, you know, geek culture or just nerding out about it, it, it's good. And there's something therapeutic, but it's also, I don't know, it's something real and and refreshing just when, when you do find something that just really, really connects. And especially it's more fulfilling when it's just such a beautiful piece of art. And that's what this movie is. It's just so, it's it's visually just eye candy, you know, from, from the first frame, like the opening credits, you know, all the way to when the movie concludes, um, there's just not, there's just not a a bad scene, you know, in the, in the movie. And even though they created homeboy and just like, even with the, um, 
like the mask with the lights and everything. Like it, it's just it, it's it's I'm just doing like hand stuff. The listeners that can't see anything that I'm doing, but it's it's just it's a great ride, and I'm I'm really excited. So we've been chatting for a good twenty minutes, and I don't think we've really begun, but that's okay. That's okay. Well, I, it's hard to like get over the little nitty gritty details of this movie because there are so many, and you know, it. I think the rise of internet sites like YouTube, like TikTok, it really helps bring a community for a little cult film together because it's like, oh, I, I didn't realize that. I'm going to go back and watch it. Or, you mm-hmm. know, oh, other people love this too. Let's vibe about it. And then they ask questions and then they get more videos. And it's just, it's a self-feeding uh, cyclical cycle. Yeah. Now, have you, have you always been a fan of like stop motion or was this kind of something new for you? I, uh, I went to grad school for animation. So like my projects to get in the door for grad school were all stop motion. So I, <laughs> I do have an affinity for it. Um, I don't quite have the talent for 2d animation, Yeah, but, uh, yeah, no stop motion was like my baby in undergrad school. Where, where did you go? Uh, well, where'd you go to undergrad? Where'd you go to grad school? Uh, I went to Ohio State for my undergrad in film, and then I ended up at the uh, Academy of Art in San Francisco. That sounds okay. right. Nice. Nice. This movie aside, what are, you know, do you have, like, did you grow up with any, like, favorite stop motion films? Oh God, whether- like, I, I can remember being, like, so tiny and, like, Gumby being on yeah. all the time on TV and, like, that being so fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, man, these stories suck, but, you know, I like how they move. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love, gosh, love yeah, Gumby. Now trying, trying to think all the way back. I mean, and, and I, I'm going to go way back, back. Um, the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which is technically the first ever animated film. It is not Disney Snow White. That is, that is a whole lie concocted by Disney. Are you, you know, saying Disney are liars? How dare you? How dare they? And uh, I believe the artist's name was Lottie... Reiniger, gosh, I, I'm going to remember it well as soon as I get off here, of course. But uh, yeah, I believe she did the whole movie by herself. It is feature length. It is all like shadow puppets and these really cool, like colored sand backgrounds. And it was it was theatrical. It was an experience back in the 1920s. And at one point, she actually applied to be an animator at Disney. And they said, no, we don't hire women. So it's just interesting. And I love Disney, but it, it's like. I think that movie, when I was in, you know, my early film school days, it was like, oh, yes, this I love stop motion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just such a like great like visual and just even even like non animated films, just like you, you take should you take a lot of Star Wars stuff. I mean, so much of the the old Star Wars was uh, like stop motion. I don't know. I'm, I'm just always fascinated just by. Just ways that people can create. I don't know, uh, just art and and the whole concept of stop motion. You you take Empire Strikes Back and like the whole Tauntaun, obviously, is just completely like all stop motion um, work there. And that, that, that's really great. But why this movie, I think, for me is so cool is the fact that in in many scenes, it just feels so, so seamless and so organic and so real. And I don't know, I just don't think since this movie came out 13 or so year, 14 years I don't think there's been gosh, it's so old. It's, it's, it's equal. I don't know if there I, I don't know if there's been anything that has been more beautifully shot than this. I don't know. Um 
that's not a question. Now I'm just I'm just going in my own head, just trying to think if I if I've seen anything recently. I, I will I will make one argument that Kubo and the Two Strings is glor like I think the story is amazing, the visuals are amazing. I don't think it draws people in in the same way, obviously, because the box office was miserable and nobody mm. knows that movie anymore. But they did such a like over the top job. I think the animation in that is better than Coraline. I think mm. the story is a little bit more interesting and fulfilling because yeah. you actually get answers in it. Yeah. Do you know, are you familiar with Marcel, the shell with shoes on? Was that stop motion? Oh, I, I saw something about that briefly, but no, I did not personally see that one. Yeah. Now I, now I, I want to double check to find out because that, that was really cool uh to, to, to do american independent live action slash stop motion animated mockumentary comedy drama that's a multi hyphenate right there um but yeah marcel so, can do it all yeah exactly marcel the shell with shoes on um a bit of a tongue twister uh film title but that was really cool as well but yeah like Coraline, i think was just um just really really special now we've, we've covered obviously that um stop motion and just a general practice but within the framework of this film, are there like certain scenes or or themes about this movie that for somebody that is obviously a huge fan that you just, that you lock right into? Well, I, I think as far as themes, uh, one of the easier ones to pull out is sort of the trope of the narcissist, the narcissistic mother mm -hmm. that is taking the child and draining the life of it for her own benefit. And <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's really in there. And Yep, <laughs> And I, I think there are people that relate to that and don't really understand why they relate to that. And uh, they might hear this and go home and look at their own relationship with their mother and be like, oh, well, <laughs> I just learned something new. Mm -hmm. But but detail wise, I mean, there's there is hardly a frame where you can't find some kind of secret. If if you are at the dinner table, you can see in the background, there are silhouettes of children that are not the ghost children that we see later. So who are these who are these kids? Um, just because you mentioned the mother, I think it's a good opportunity to at least reference, you know, some of the the voices behind these characters. The mother obviously being Terry Hatcher for those that uh, uh, watched. Uh, what was it? Lois and Clark, uh, the new Lois adventures of Superman. And, right. And uh, Desperate Housewives. Desperate and Housewives. Yeah. And a uh, very uh, iconic uh, Seinfeld episode. Uh, let's see who else is in this. Obviously, Dakota, Dakota Fanning. Dakota, yeah, Dakota Fanning, um, which I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but she originally this was supposed to be like a live action film and she was cast to do the live action. And then they determined that like they wanted it was actually going to go animated. They asked her if she wanted to do it. And she was like, yeah, sure. She'll still do it, even though the movie took like four years and she'd periodically just come in, um, you know, to do, say, a few lines periodically. And of course, her voice would be changing from from being like cast at like nine to the time that she was finally done at like 12 or 13 years old. Correct. I, I did not know it was supposed to be live action. That's the stop. first time I've heard that. But... Stop, stop, stop. No. <laughs> <laughs> but like Dakota Fanning does such a good job and she mm -hmm. slips into that Michigan accent sometimes. And I'm just like, girl, you are too good for your age. I, I spotted that really early, really early in the movie. I think uh, after she mentioned that she was, um, she said something. I don't know if she said, like, uh, was it Motor City? She said something, uh, Pontiac. She mentioned Pontiac, right? And just even the way that she said 
uh, that in like her follow up sentence, she had the that very like quintessential Mi- Michigander kind of like vibe going on there just with her with her vowel sounds I'm like, oh, that's that's really good for a very young actress to to nail kind of like that Midwestern uh, um, kind of like that that a vowel sound specifically. Yeah. And it's, and it's not like we don't speak like that in Ohio. Like, no, it's, it's such a specific accent. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So good. Um, who else is in the movie? Um, Keith David, Keith oh, David yes. or David Keith. I always get them. I always get those. I, and those. unfortunately, they're both actors. Yeah, they're both <laughs> actors. Um, I, think I, I think it's Keith David. I think it's Keith David. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, they're both great actors. But Keith, I, I do it all the time. I always get David Keith and Keith David. The one backwards. who was Goliath. That's the one we mean. Yes. Um, let's see. Ian McShane. So for those that yes. were big fans of Deadwood, um, he's in it. I'm trying to think if there was any other main. Oh, uh, Jeff, did... uh, pardon me. Oh, I was going to say he did American Gods. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh. Now I've seen. Oh, um, no, he wasn't in Crash. That was Dennis Hopper. Never mind. <laughs> was it Jennifer Saunders? Yeah, Jennifer Saunders is in it. She was the uh, fairy godmother in Shrek. Yep. I, mm-hmm. I do not know off the top of my head who the other older lady is. Um, let's see. Absolutely fabulous. Oh, so yeah. they had both of the ladies from yeah, Absolutely exactly. Fabulous. Yeah, okay, that's okay, it. okay. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes so that, sense. That was the thing. Is yeah, they had both uh both the ladies from Abfab. Um so yeah, rich rich cast right there, very great, uh great talent. We've talked about the film itself. I mean, we you look at this set design, extremely extravagant. Um, I think I read somewhere that it was like over like 150,000 like feet um, uh, were constructed like to build the sets on this. I mean, for like a stop motion. I mean, that's just that's a massive like 180,000 like square feet, just massive, very expansive oh, yeah. um, set to create this world. On a budget. Oh, here we go. So the budget was like, like sixty. What was it? Was it sixty million? It didn't. I guess I. I'll double check that. But I'm looking at like sixty million to make. That can't be oh my right. Gosh, that that is a huge animation budget. Hold on. Let me. That can't be right. I have to be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna double check that right now. So, Coraline budget. 60 million. Yeah. So Coraline costs approximately $60 million to make uh, the first, the first stop motion animated feature to be shot entirely in 3d. Okay. So that's, that's what we're looking at right there. I mean, and they got their money's worth. I mean, this is a a focus feature uh, granted, obviously, which is kind of like a subsidiary universal, but that's kind of like their like universals kind of like art uh, like studio, if you will. Um, that, that is true. And interestingly, it's now you will find Coraline merchandise, but any of the other Leica movies, including Coraline, when it released, there was like nothing. You might, might get like a kid's meal toy back then, but there's no like dolls on the shelves or action figures or anything for their movies. It just, it it feels so pure from Leica that we love doing this. And so that's why we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Um... Okay, so I mean, I've kind of asked you the questions that that I wanted to is just really just get a gauge of what is it about this movie you enjoy, why you're passionate about it, why do you as a hobby uh, like to talk about it in your spare time, but what are some things that I haven't asked that you want to kind of discuss about this? Oh, let, let's argue about whether or not she gets out at the end, <laughs> if you're up for I that. Mean, 
I don't have necessarily an argument. That's just never really the way that I've looked at the film. So sell me, I guess. <laughs> okay, well, once Coraline goes through that tunnel, she never really gets home again. If you if you pay attention to the details, she goes to sleep in her room in the other world, and everything just fades back to how it is in the in the real world. But mm-hmm. we already know that the Bell Dam can control everything that Coraline sees and manipulate everything that she sees. And the further we go in the story, there there's other interesting things. Like there is a plushie in Coraline's in the. <laughs> let me retry. The further we get in the story, there are weird little details that we see. Like there is a plushie in her room that mm-hmm, in the yeah. other world it has you know funky ears, and at the end of the movie it still has those funky ears. Uh, the tunnels that she goes through later don't look like the same tunnel she came in through. There's debris in them. You know they're not brightly lit. And even if they were lit, you know, that debris was not there earlier. That is a whole different tunnel. And then once you get to the very end and you think the bell dam is thwarted and everything's good and fine, the cat disappears behind the pink palace sign out front. So the portals are still there, meaning the other world is still there. Or more so that Coraline is still in the other world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm tr- like right now, uh, the pause, I'm trying to see if I have any way to really argue with you. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, fuck it. I'm sold. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sold. I'm not even, I mean, I'm, I'm even, not- even when she gets home magically, her family's all nice, all better. I believe she went through a tunnel that took her to another fake house and the bell dam mm-hmm. has her locking herself in there now for all eternity. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, the angles that, you know, I've wanted to not necessarily think of this movie as a parable or anything per se, but, you know, it's just kind of one of those, like, be careful what you wish for type uh, scenarios. And then, you know, in the end, kind of like, a, you know, the the other side isn't necessarily as good. And then when you finally everything, when you go back, uh, things that you thought were shitty, you're able to appreciate a little bit more. So I, I, I don't know, I, I kind of kind of chose to look at it as really was her family as shitty as they were in the beginning of the film or was that just like her perspective and i mean uh, it definitely feels like that in the book but mm-hmm. i the movie feels like a totally different ball game and yeah i've seen like a you know little background trailers and stuff that say the smallest details tell the biggest story and there mm-hmm. are a lot of details in there and it's shoot i lost my train of thought no, you're fine. You're fine. I, like I said, this was not uh, an angle that I was really even thinking about, like when we were gonna have this conversation. So this is very enlightening for me just to at this point, when we get off, I'm I'm going to go back and watch the movie again. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably even well, going to ask my my daughter or my wife, for that matter, just hey, I, you, I will tell you to look at it. Happens? From, I, I will tell you to look at it from this perspective and see how you feel. Because I, I have this argument with people all the time. They say, no, the Bell Dam eats the other kids. That's what she does. I'm like, why would you bother to sew buttons in their eyes then? That, that's extra steps to eating them. Mm-hmm. I think like a narcissistic mother, she keeps them trapped and locked up. And she slowly feeds off this, you know, love from a child sort of thing, like a narcissistic parent. And when they die, that's when she has to make a new doll and get a new child. Hmm. Because, and there's even a scene in Coraline where she's coming through the tunnel and she sees her mother and the mother has normal eyes and then it transforms into the Beldam's button eyes. So the Beldam can create everybody to look the way they should. She just doesn't. So that Coraline thinks she knows where she's at, 
even if she doesn't. Again, I think you, you, you've sold me. You sold me. And so job done. All right. Final, you know, I, I try to keep these kind of, you know, um, kind of on topic. And I think for the most part, I think we've done a good job of staying, staying on topic. Is there anything else that you want to, you want to kind of like tackle before we, we say good evening. And again, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This has been so much fun and you've certainly opened my eyes to just an angle that I w- never really even looked at this movie from. Oh my God. Um, okay. No, I have another thing to support it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, no, please, back please, in please, my head. please. Okay. Okay. Look at how time works when she's going back and forth between the real world and the other world, because we see a banner that says President's Day Day sale. So it's February. Mm -hmm. And then a couple scenes later, that's maybe a day or two later at most, there are flowers budding. So it's spring Mm -hmm. in in just that amount of time. Mm -hmm. So something is very, very wrong with how time is working in this world. And for whatever reason, Coraline doesn't seem to notice. This is good. This is really like this is me more fun for me. Well, I'm sure it's me fun for the listeners that love this movie as well. But this is me more fun for me because now this is just even just more fodder for me to look at. It is so late. I I have yet to have a screenshot where it's not like, oh, hey, wait, what's that in the corner? Oh, hey, what's that over there? Yeah, yeah. Well, shit, thank you. Thank you for uh, (laughs) giving me uh, like. Now, like, I'm going to watch this. I'm like, oh, look, look, I'm just going to point this out uh, to everybody. So I don't know. I will. If you wanted to get another fan, like, again, I already appreciate the and maybe that's one of the things about it is I've always appreciated this movie more from the artistic perspective to the point where I was mostly in visual awe of this movie um, more so than the story, which I think the story is fantastic. And, you know, I, I like the themes, but. From a like I said, from your perspective, a deeper level of now even analyzing the ending, did she get out? Kind of again, not something that I ever really even remotely explored, even thought to explore. I was more like, shit, how did they do that? How long did it take for them to do this scene? That's... If you watch the movie like four hundred times in a row, you stop paying attention. <laughs> you start seeing different things. Like you start looking Fair off enough. from where the action is. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, man. McGann, thank you. This has been so much fun. I've really enjoyed. Can you talk to us a little bit more about your uh, about about Fangirl, what you know, what you do and uh, where people can find you? Oh, yeah. No, I just pretty much talk about movies all the time. Uh, That's YouTube.com slash the Fangirl watches. Somebody by like a year beat me to the Fangirl and Google will not kick them off the platform, even though they never post anything. Yeah. And um, I'm on TikTok. I do kind of movies and toys and just whatever on there. That one is uh, say Halo goodbye, like the game Halo, because I'm a nerd. (laughs) But yeah, those would be the two main places to see me rant and ramble about film and toys and being a geeky loser. Whatever I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. Uh, so I'm immediately going to subscribe and, and follow and interact with you. So thank you. I'm really excited. I know that we, we first connected, um, back in the spring, but like I said, I, I penciled this in. I just thought this would be a fun kind of like fall discussion. Um, I don't know, maybe it's because the movie took place kind of like in the Pacific Northwest and the vibe, and I know that the movie does take kind of, uh, it takes place over a long period of time, but I don't know for me, it just has that. That kind of that kind of vibe. So I think it, it I think it pairs well for kind of September, October. But that's that's just my yeah, own. I don't know. My it, own. it definitely fits in there. And and you're gonna you're gonna rewatch it now with my notes and then come yeah. back and be like, you're so right, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh I usually close by thanking the guest again. 
So I'll have like a little button. Oh, by the way, everything that we talked about, I went back and rewatched and yeah, she's hundred percent right. Or if that's, I disagree, that's my favorite. you know, that's, those or, are my favorite phrases. <laughs> or I'm going to go back like, no, she's full of shit. Yeah. <gasps> uh, but, you know, you'll just have to wait and find out. You'll wait and find out. No, no uh, I'm thank confident. you. <laughs> <laughs> I fought uh, every internet troll out there. I'm confident. <laughs> uh, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you again. I really appreciate uh, chatting. Anytime you want to come back and nerd out about any other movie. You've got you've got my attention and I'd love to chat with you again. So thank you. Okay. Well you let me know whenever you want to talk about nine. I'm ready. <laughs> Ooh, done. Done. All right. All right. Well, well, you be in touch. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to get to talk about movies with other geeks. <laughs> my pleasure. Again, thank you so much to McGann. I had a absolutely fantastic conversation with uh with her and would love to have her back. Now, since the recording of this episode, I have had the opportunity to go back and revisit Coraline. And a couple points that we mentioned uh, first off was uh, about They Might Be Giants. And I did a little more digging. And essentially, yeah, basically, They Might Be Giants were hired to record the entire soundtrack for the film. But somewhere early in production, again, the movie took like four years to make, but sometime early in the production, uh, they didn't really build kind of like the the right like vibe with a creative team and as a result they were basically cut out of the film now they did keep the like the other father song uh but they there there were other songs and they just went a completely different direction so there what's really funny is if you want to think about it there's this other world uh where there are tons of they might be giant songs in a, a different Coraline uh film out there now of course, I'm, I'm curious what that would have looked like, but I did appreciate the music that they did, kind of that weird uh, children voices song in the beginning that they that they also use at the end and kind of the, this like mythical music that they use throughout the film. But, dude, let's be real. The other father song was so much fun. Uh, and I would have loved to hear what what else they might be giants had crafted for this film. So that was one thing that we discussed. The other thing and the more important uh, thing is really the ending. And McGann, um, you know, posits that that Coraline doesn't get out. Right. And this is a upon research. Uh, this is very, very popular, a very, very popular theory. And I got to be honest, like prior to our conversations, it never really crossed my mind at all. I just assume, yeah, Coraline gets out. And I revisited the film with the idea and the perspective that McGann um, suggests and, you know, uses like a lot of the, the uh, you know, the the supporting um, information that, you know, would lend like credence to what she's saying. And I get it. I see it. But I still I don't know. I, I, I still I, I still think she does get out. That, that's my personal take. Um, and. I think for the the narrative structure of what the film is going on and really trying to tackle these specific themes of uh, of family and overcoming fear, I think from a story perspective, I look at it from the angle that she does get out. But um, and. And then the people within the community, you know, like within the apartment community, they there is this um, connection that that happens. And it doesn't mean that I'm right. It doesn't mean that she's wrong. It doesn't mean that 
she's right doesn't mean that she's wrong. Um, I I do love movies that allow audiences to get their own interpretation. And and while the book obviously pretty much suggests that she, you know, that uh, there, there's a bit more of a happy ending, um, the film can give viewers a, a different take. And that's that's awesome. I'm I'm curious to know what your take is. You know, uh, maybe I'm a complete buffoon. Well, actually, let me correct myself. I am a complete buffoon. But 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 I do like the 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 room for intelligent conversation. So what are your thoughts? Um, you know, shoot me a message or uh, leave a voicemail. We do have the voicemail feature on my website. So you can visit stampercinema.com and leave a voicemail on what you think. I'm more than happy to get back to you or share uh, those voicemails on here at a later time. But either way, uh, that discussion aside, uh, the They Might Be Giants discussion aside, if you have never seen Coraline, it is a delight. And it's really funny because I mentioned that my this is one of my daughter's favorite films. I should mention that my daughter loves like the first like 45 to 55 minutes. And then around that she stops it, but she does that with a lot of movies. She usually gets about like 15, 20 minutes in, loves it, stops it and goes to the beginning. She like watches certain things. But when the movie does take kind of like this weird dark turn, uh, she'll pause it uh, or stop it and something else will happen. But then she'll want to pick right back up. You know, it, it's a five. She's a five year old. So her attention span is lacking, but she has seen the movie from start to finish. But it's usually like the first 45, 50 minutes that she's seen several, several times. And I was talking with my wife, I'm like, have you ever seen this movie from start to finish? She's like, I don't think so. I just we usually just get about an hour deep until like the the other mother like turns all sinister. And then it's usually time for something else. And it's funny. Um, I never really even thought about that until this most recent rewatch. And and yeah. So is there a point to anything that I'm saying? No. Uh, but that's 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 it's pretty common for me either way. If you haven't seen Coraline, definitely check it out. It's so fascinating. Like visually, it's gorgeous. The music is great. Um, the voice acting, we, you know, we certainly cited Dakota Fanning uh, with her use of like the, the Michigan accent. Like her A's are like really, really strong in this one. And uh, I think the way that she says her dad uh, and a couple other a couple lines in there really do stand out. But anyway, I'm yapping away. Uh, let's let's wrap up here. Get this one out so you can enjoy this. Have a wonderful Halloween. Um, in fact, we do have a brand new episode coming to you out on Halloween proper, but you know, this is a little Halloween teaser. So everyone take care and we'll see you next time on another episode of Stamper Cinema. Mm-hmm.